This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, January 24th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. Once upon a time, the industry known as big content could simply ask Congress to extend copyrights, and the wish was granted. That probably won't happen this year. That's according to Tim Lee at Ars Technica. He says the big players in copyright aren't doing much of anything to prevent lots of works from falling into the public domain next year. We spoke last week. Most people your age and my age the idea of something that had been owned, uh, a copyright, some, slipping into the public domain, it, it's almost something that we can't really picture. The only things that are in the public domain are super old. Yeah, that's that's right. The nothing um, you haven't had a class of works from a year fall into the public domain in forty years. Um, until the nineteen seventies, this would happen every year. Every year, something that was about fifty years old would fall into the public domain, and you get a whole new crop of a full year's worth of works that previously had been under copyright and now is free for anybody to um, to use for for any purpose they want. Um, and in nineteen seventy six, Congress passed legislation adding nineteen years to the term of copyright, which essentially froze the line between the public domain and works in copyright at 1923. And then in 1998, just months before uh, works were scheduled to start falling into the public domain again, um, Congress did the same thing again. They retroactively added 20 years to the copyrights of older copyrighted works. Um, and as a result, uh, that 1923 line remained frozen um, from 1998 until this year, uh, 2018. Um, and so now Congress is in the same position it was in 20 years ago. Um, if they don't do anything, works will start falling to the public domain again um, on January 1st, 2019. So we lived in this world where a wide variety of, of works that had individual creators and then were bought up by corporations or whatever um, just kept getting extended for long periods of time. And if somebody had an interest in renewing those copyrights, they would do so. There are rare, weird examples of things that had slipped into the public domain because somebody made a mistake, usually. Yeah, that's right. So the earlier, um, prior to the 1970s, there was this renewal requirement where you'd get 28 years of protection, and then you had to file paperwork with the Copyright Office to get another 28 years. And so if you didn't do that correctly, um, then after 28 years, the works would, would fall in the public domain. So there are some works from the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s that fell into the public domain through that mechanism. Um, but then uh, over the last 40 years, Congress has uh, shifted to a system where there is um, not a registration requirement uh, or renewal requirement. And um, as a result, uh, in the last couple decades, things have not been falling into the public domain due to that failure to renew. Okay. So who has been behind the big push to, to keep the public domain at bay? In essence, I'm, I'm thinking Disney, I'm thinking yeah. Sonny Bono, yeah. uh, and people like that. Yeah, so the, the two big categories are big media companies, um, particularly, I think, movie studios. People always talk about Disney um, because one of the very first of the uh, modern characters that are really commercially valuable is Mickey Mouse. Um, people like to talk about Steamboat Willie, which was the first Mickey Mouse uh, cartoon in 1928. Um, if you think about the other kind of big uh, franchises, things like Batman, Superman, uh, 
those sort of things. Those were later. And so um, the t- 1920s are when those sort of modern uh, character brands kind of started happening. And so I think that's one uh, reason that some of these companies were very interested. The other big category are the estates of famous authors, musicians. Um, for example, uh, the Gershwin estate, I believe, had a significant role. Um, and then um, Sonny Bono was a congressman who uh, died in a skiing accident, I believe, uh, in the, the 1990s. And his widow uh, ran for his seat and won and named the 1998 copyright extension after him. So yeah, it was a correlation of big media companies and uh, the heirs of successful songwriters. I mean, something to keep in mind here is that the vast majority of copyrighted works are um, not commercially valuable at all. In fact, in many cases, it's hard to even find copies, um, you know, out-of-print copies. These are known as orphan works because often it's um, you know people people that would like to preserve them are prevented from doing so for copyright. Um, but there's this tiny, tiny minority of works like The Great Gatsby or The Wizard of Oz that still have significant commercial value. And so in 1976 and 1998, you had this uh, the people who owned those rare, valuable copyrights pushing to extend everybody's copyright because they wanted to continue collecting the, the, um, the revenue that comes from being able to license those works. In 2012, we had the Stop Online Piracy Act as a sort of looming threat for uh, the public domain, I get, I suppose. Um, what what would what did that fight reveal about this fight over copyright and sort of where the battle lines were drawn? Yeah, so that was a legislation that was a part of a an kind of ongoing effort to pass more and more legislation to crack down on anti on piracy, um, and it would have cr- essentially required you know. Like, Internet service providers to create a online blacklist of sites suspected of piracy, and I, what I think it revealed was that there was a large and growing constituency of people who didn't want to see um, ever increasing copyright restrictions, and particularly because it focused on mandating essential internet censorship. Um, I think there were a lot of uh, large internet companies and grassroots you know, people who believed in free speech and online freedom that organized, and so I think the most significant um, manifestation of this was there was a day in uh, January 2012 when Wikipedia and Google and a bunch of other big sites put these protest banners, um, this internet blackout, where when you visited the site, it would say, you know, this site is blacked out to protest this this act. I mean, I think particularly Wikipedia, which is a site nobody really thought about as political, but has a really large number of people visiting it, um, a lot of people who previously had not paid attention to this debate suddenly started paying attention. And it was really was a political earthquake um, in Washington, D.C., because every member of Congress had their, uh, their uh, phone systems overloaded by people calling about this. And um, Hollywood, not only the, the backers of the Stop Online Piracy, Piracy Act, not only stopped pushing the legislation, um, but it kind of created a nuclear winter for uh, copyright legislation uh, that really has persisted to, until now. There has not been any further major efforts to expand uh, copyright enforcement uh, or otherwise expand uh, copyright protections. Do you think that it was the expectation going into this, and maybe you have to uh, read the minds of some of lobbyists for uh, big content, if you will, were they not expecting this kind of reaction? No, I don't think so. And so this is this is something that the kind of longer trend you see in 1998 when Congress passed the previous copyright term extension, and they also passed a law called the D- Digital Millennium Copyright Act that's somewhat controversial. Um, there really was not a. Uh, a there wasn't really anybody significant representing the 
what you might call the other side of that debate. Um, it was just uh, you had a bunch of industries, copyright protecting industries, that were lobbying for this legislation, and they basically got their way. And that continued in the early 2000s. There was a piece of uh, legislation called the uh, Pro IP Act, for example, in 2008 that uh, ratcheted up. Uh, anti-piracy efforts in various ways. And so, Hollywood and, and the music industry and other copyright interests had gotten used to every few years, they go to Congress and they get a few more uh, goodies, a, few, a, a little bit more protection for their copyrighted works. And that was just the way things worked. And so, I think it was a big shock to them. Um, I think that in 2012, uh, tech companies and uh, grassroots kind of, uh, Reddit was another significant factor, kind of grassroots internet activism had matured to the point where suddenly all these uh, individuals who um, previously did not have either were not engaged at all or did not have a way to become well organized suddenly had the tools and the motivation to make their voice heard and it turned out there were a lot of people who actually cared about this issue so you say in uh, this piece at Ars Technica that uh, it's perhaps surprising but the producers of content the holders of lots of valuable copyrights might not get another extension uh, this year which would be a kind of a big deal yeah, absolutely. So, so as I said, in the '70s and the '90s, it was just um, with not very much controversy. These extensions were passed, and so for the last 10, 15 years, as I've, as long as I've been paying attention to this issue, I assumed that in the late you know 20 teens there would be another big fight, and probably would get another ex extension, and you'd have this effectively perpetual copyright. Um, and so I thought it would be interesting just to kind of figure out like what's that debate going to look like. And so I uh, contacted three big um, copyright uh, rights groups, you know, people that create content on um, the Motion Picture Association is representing Hollywood, the recording industry, and the Authors Guild, and just said, like, is this an issue you guys are focusing on this year? Um, and all three of them actually said, no, this is not, we're not planning to do anything on this, and we're not aware of anybody else who is. Um, the Authors Guild, who traditionally has been, I think you could say, on the kind of more pro pro copyright side actually said that they would be open to reducing the term uh, by 20 years if there was uh, generally political support by that, which is not, I think, a position they've taken before. Um, and so, the the, the um, political winds have really shifted on this. I think that, um, that these groups have calculated that uh, there's now a sufficient uh, opposition. I mean, they haven't told me this, but I assume that there's now enough opposition that it just wouldn't be worth making this a priority because it's probably not a fight they would win. So, taking this out of uh, the the straight news, the reporting that you've done here and into analysis or pontification. Um, how much of this, uh, I guess, reduction in the interest in these uh, big copyright holders or people who represent them, the, the uh, Authors Guild among others, um, is due to just the fact that the internet has grown in the way that it has, where people are constantly making use, remixing all sorts of content out there. Yeah, I think that's absolutely a significant factor. Um, in 1998, and certainly in 1976, um, I don't think people thought of copyright as something that affected their lives unless they were an author or a songwriter or something, because you know, you'd, you know, if you wrote something on a piece of paper, theoretically that may or may not be copyrighted, but uh, you certainly weren't going to distribute it to somebody else. You weren't going to be, you know, clipping somebody else's video and. Were, and incorporating into your work, and so copyright just didn't really affect anybody. Um, obviously, now since it's so easy to uh, make copies of things and distribute them to other people, it's just much more relevant to people, and people kind of have to know what the rules are. And I think some people have learned that the rules are actually more restrictive than they think makes sense. And so this is something um, that now I think is just a daily reality in people people's lives. And so when you say, "Hey, Congress might change these laws," there's a lot more people who are interested in that. Given how things are now, and that 
this is now the where the battle lines appear to be drawn. Um, is there an opportunity then to get some further reform? I mean, years ago, I had heard, hey, you want to get rid of all orphaned works? Well, charge a penny to renew the copyright, uh-huh. and then otherwise it slips into the public domain. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's unlikely, it depends on what time period you're talking to. Over the next few years, I think that um, these interest groups are still powerful enough that it, it's not in the other direction where you'll see like a steady chipping away at copyright protection. I think what you'll see for the next few years is a legislative stalemate where uh, Everybody's powerful. I mean, Congress is not exactly a well-functioning institution to start with. So I think everybody has enough veto power that you're not likely to see major legislation. Um, in the longer run, I think the, one of the major uh, limitations on rolling back some of these copyright protections is that uh, one of the things that the copyright interest successfully did is getting a lot of these rules written into um, international treaties. And so, for example, there's a the, the main one is called the Berne Convention that has various requirements, has a minimum term of copyright, which I believe is life of the author plus 50 for new works, which is pretty long, and it also uh, makes most uh, Registration requirements uh, illegal, and so I, I don't know if you could, if legally you, you would be allowed to have some kind of orphan works program. There definitely have been um, efforts to uh, reform orphan works in the past. I wrote about one, I think maybe ten years ago, that circulated on the Hill but never got passed. Um, that would uh, create a new defense where you can say, basically, I tried to find the author of this work and I was unsuccessful. And if you did a diligent search, then you would have the right to use it. So certainly, I could imagine legislation like that happening eventually. But I think it's still the case that um, the uh, the industry groups are, generally speaking, don't want to seek changes, partly because they just don't want to set the precedent. I mean, they, they would like to be ratcheting protection up, but certainly they don't want to get on the kind of get some momentum on the idea that we're going to be ratcheting protection back. And so I think it's uh, eventually you'll probably see reform, but I don't think it's going to happen right away. Yeah, I spoke with Peter Van Doren uh, here at Cato recently about uh, a little – we touched on copyright, but the idea that Disney is now getting into streaming and uh, everybody wants to be both the content holder and in, in many ways expanding their range of delivering that content directly to people. What do companies like Disney and uh, you know music publishers and, and, and authors, uh, what do they have to lose by copy by through this stalemate or by perhaps some sort of small chipping away at copyright terms? I, th- I think it's mostly just about the kind of lobbying coalition they have set up. They have different uh, groups. So, for example, one group I think that is very concerned about orphan works legislation is photographers because um, it's often much more difficult to find the author, the creator of a, a photograph, than for other kinds of works. And so, the worry is that if you have orphan works re- uh, rules, those will get used very aggressively by people, and photographers will have trouble getting paid. And so, I, I think the the concern is that well, if we even if book publishers or movie publishers wouldn't directly be harmed, they want to keep that part of their coalition on board. And so, just saying we're just not going to have any any changes. Again, I haven't. Nobody's directly told me this, but but kind of seeing how how they they operate, I think that's the intuition: is that um, you want to kind of keep everybody in the tent. And the way to do that is um, by opposing any changes that that hurts anybody in the kind of pro copyright coalition. Has the creation of Creative Commons had made any substantive dent in uh, what we think about copyright or the volume of stuff that we can expect to just fall into the public domain as Creative Commons tends to dictate? Uh, I think Creative Commons was a great invention. It definitely, um, I mean, I use it 
uh, quite a lot because um, we put photographs on all our photo on all of our articles, and often we go on Flickr and we find work. So it's definitely a great invention. Um, I think one thing about that is that uh, at least the debate, the discussion we've been having is focused on older works from the 20s and 30s that might fall into the public domain under the next 20 years. Obviously, Creative Commons was only uh, invented about 20 years ago, and so um, that. Is uh, it'll be many many decades before uh, we sort of catch up to that, um, but I think Creative Commons has definitely um, helped. I, I think the way to think about Creative Commons, I think, is as a kind of hedge against uh, the the some of the more extreme aspects of copyright. If somebody creates content and thinks that's too much and is uh, limiting creative freedom too much, they can voluntarily opt into this. But the default is still very, very strong copyright. And so people who think there's a lot of content created where um, the author maybe would like a Creative Commons type arrangement if they thought about it, but they just haven't thought about it. And it might be better in the long run to have the default be a little bit more permissive rather than having to explicitly tag every piece of content as Creative Commons if you want to make it allow it to be. I mean, this is what happened before they got rid of registration requirements is by default, if you if I like wrote something down on a napkin that was not copyrighted, it was public domain by default, and I had to actually send a copy to the copyright office uh, in order to get the copyright protection. And so freedom was the default, and restriction was uh, this alternative you could opt into. And Congress switched that around when they got rid of registration requirements, and so now everything is protected unless an author voluntarily uses Creative Commons or puts it in the public domain. Um, and I think, there's, I think that's unlikely to change because there's these treaties requiring it, but I think there's a good argument that it actually would be better if the default was, was to let people um, use works unless the author specifically said they didn't want them to. Tim Lee is a writer at Ars Technica focusing on, among other things, copyright. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes and Google Play, and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 